Let's pray. Lord God, we come before you again this day. As you clear away the clouds and the sun shines through, and we recognize that you are the creator and your hand is what is behind the motion of the earth around the sun. Your hand is what is behind our faith, our love for you, our understanding of who you are and what you've done and what you continue to do. So, Lord, we worship you by giving you our hearts and our minds, our, our heads, everything that we are. It's yours in the first place. Thank you, Father, for your love for us in Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Jesus Christ is our example, isn't he? And when we think about this concept, this idea that Jesus is our example, I, I think the first thing that happens in our minds so often is we go straight to the fact that Jesus Christ died for us. He's our example. He died for us. We kind of jump very quickly to the end of the matter right there, or maybe the, the middle of the matter, really. When we take some time to think about it like we're going to tonight, uh, there is so much more to it. So much more to Jesus Christ as our example than just his death on the cross. His example for us didn't start at his death on the cross. Jesus Christ pursued us intentionally from the beginning. Even before that, before there was time. It continued, his pursuit of us continued through the 33 years that he lived on this earth, give or take a, a year or two. As he exemplified sympathy and servant-hearted love for us to display ourselves. And his love for us goes on even as he sits at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Continuing to make intercession on our behalf. Patient waiting, loving. Go ahead and open up your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2, starting at verse 1. Sounds like everybody's there, so let's stand up. Reading of God's Word. Starting at verse 1, it says, So, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself, by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. 
Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. A reading of God's word. Go ahead and be seated. Thank you. Verse 6. It says, Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus, who... Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Christ Jesus is God. He existed en morphe theu, in the form of God. That word morphe. It means form. That's how it's translated here. And, and, and it means that tangibly the very stuff of something. In this case, the, the stuff of God. Not simply in appearance, not just looking like, but through and through. Jesus consisted of the essence and the nature of God having all of the attributes and the glory of God in his being. And he was all of this before he was given the name Jesus. Before time began, before time existed. The second person of the triune God was from eternity past the essence and the nature of God equal to the Father. Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, to be held on to. He had equality with the Father. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. Jesus was not made because all that is made was made through him. He is God from eternity past. The author of Hebrews, he says, he, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. There's two great phrases here, really three great phrases, but we're only going to look at the first two. The phrase, the radiance of the glory of God. He is the radiance of the glory of God from Jesus Christ himself emits the very present glory of God himself. Not as a mirror, not as a reflection, but as the source of that glory. The glory of God emitting from him. Think of it like a radiator. A radiator by nature is hot, therefore the heat emits from that radiator. Now, now somebody like Moses 
reflected the glory of God, right? After he met with God, he had to cover, he had to veil his face because it was just glowing, right? Because he stood near to God and he picked up some of that glory and then as he left God's presence, that glory was still there so he veiled his face and eventually the glory faded away from him because it was, he was not the source of that glory. It's kind of like having a radiator that, sorry, a radiator that emits heat, Right? And if you put a cup of water next to it, that cup will absorb some of that heat. And it'll then reflect what the radiator was doing, right? But the radiator is that source of that heat. John 1.18, speaking of Jesus, John says, No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Jesus Christ is God. Therefore, he emits the very glory of God, and he has made him known. That phrase, the exact imprint of his nature, if we go back to that Hebrews 3 passage, He's the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. There's two key words in there. That word translated imprint. It's the Greek word character, from which we get our word character. It means the exact representation, having the same characteristics or attributes. It's a term they would use for a coin that is struck. And if you took two different coins, if I had two quarters up here, and they were the same year, same vintage, same press, same everything, I said, here's the first one, here's the second one, then I dropped them, and I picked them up, and I would say, which one's which? And you would say, I don't know. They look the same. They have the same weight. They're made of the same stuff. Because they are of the same character. Jesus is the very character of God. The word translated nature in that Hebrews passage, hupostaseos, it means the foundation, the essence. It's often translated essence. The, the being, the substance, the, the reality behind the appearances. The plan, the purpose, everything that settles down. Kind of like if you shake up a snow globe and you look at it and it's all kind of what's what. And then when it all settles and you say, ah, I see it. It's the stuff that settles. The stuff that makes something what it really is. Jesus is the exact imprint of the essence of God. The exact character. He has all the attributes. Jesus is of the same essence of the Father. Jesus is God. And he proved it time and again in Scripture when he would do the things of God. The wind and the waves obeyed him. The demons did what he said. 
recognizing him as the authority over all creation. People were healed. The words he spoke, he spoke with the authority of God. He did the things that only God could do, and he did them with authority that only God would have. Jesus is God. And I want us to, to, to really understand this. I, this is important to fully grasp this idea that Jesus is pre-existent God. Because we need to understand that Jesus was not just a man born on earth and then caught up in, in some scheme of God to bring salvation to the rest of mankind. He didn't slip in some mud and end up on a cross. Uh, he was not shanghaied or impressed into service by God who, who looked down and said, I'll take that man and make him the Savior. No. Jesus was in this plan of salvation for us from the beginning. From that passage in Genesis 3.15, that proto-evangelium, that, that first glimmer of gospel hope that we receive when God said to the serpent that the seed, singular, the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent and the serpent would bite his heel. Jesus was in it from that time. Jesus was in it from even before that. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 10, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Jesus, as God eternal, was fully aware of the mystery of the will of God, the plan of salvation for mankind from before the foundation of the earth. This means that he always knew what we would do. That plan was in place before the foundations of the world. He always knew what we would do. And he always knew what he would do to secure us to himself. Jesus, from before time began, intentionally and relentlessly took the initiative to pursue a redeemed and reconciled relationship with those who turned away from him 
intentionally took the initiative to do this for us before we had even turned away. It was neither accidental nor incidental. It was intentional. His love is on purpose. Our love for one another shouldn't be an afterthought. And, and, oh, I have to do that, yeah. How purposefully are we loving one another? How, how committed are we to selflessly loving others in the same way that Jesus has loved us? Do, do we think ahead about ways to, to give up of ourselves to build up and encourage someone else? Are we prepared even now to love someone who may yet sin against us? Do do we pursue one another in fellowship? Even before there is a need there, do we seek out others and love on them and create a relationship so that when there is a need, they know who they can go to? They know who they can trust. They know who they can lean upon. In the same way that we know we can trust and lean upon Jesus Christ. Verse 6 again. Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. He pursued us before there was time. And while he walked here on the earth in the flesh. As perfect God, infinite and eternal, Jesus had every right to stay right where he was. He did not have to come down. He did not have to take on flesh. He did not have to do this. And yet he became just like one of us. He intentionally took on flesh for us in order to become an example of of sympathy, a a sympathetic, servant-hearted, humble, and selfless love. In this way, he continued to pursue us while he was here In the flesh. Hebrews 2, verses 17 to 18 says that his time on earth in flesh like ours, it it made him a sympathetic intercessor on our behalf. Hebrews 2, it says, Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, He is able to help those who are being tempted. Jesus was willing to relinquish, to let go of the glory of being God in order to connect with our pain. He he was willing to let go of, of being in the throne room of heaven with the angels crying out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Right where he belonged, not 
nothing egotistical involved in that. They were simply declaring truth, and that's where he belongs. And he was willing to let go of that, to, to seek out, to understand what it is to live in this fallen world in a flesh just like us, a fleshy, tempted body just like us, and yet live it perfectly without sin. Jesus wanted us to see who he was on this earth and to do the same. John 13, verses 12 to 15, it says, When he had washed their feet, a very real example of Christ's love for us, and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If then, I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Example of humility, servant-hearted love and leadership. And then he humbled himself even further, didn't he? Giving up that body in our place and even in the worst way possible. Verse 8, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus is a, a perfect example of selfless love and humility entirely for the sake of someone else. A perfect example of intentionally pursuing redemptive and re reconciled relationships with a fallen people. But it doesn't end at the cross, does it? Where is he now? Therefore, verse 9, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus Christ is Lord. He is the rightful king of creation. He is sitting at the right hand of the majesty on high. He is the one who holds together all of creation with the word of his power. And there will be a day when everyone sees this, acknowledges it, and bows the knee and confesses with the tongue. But do we see that? Today, do we see that? Do we see everyone in the world bowing the knee and confessing Jesus Christ and the truth of who he is, acknowledging the gospel and the salvation and all these great things that God has done in creation and after creation, before creation? From what I can see, there's, there's still so many who refuse to recognize who he is. And yet, he waits patiently for all those who will come to him for salvation. He pursued us before there was time. He 
He pursued us while he was on this earth in humility and love as an example. And he continues to patiently pursue. His love for us is very intentional. Humble, selfless, sympathetic, merciful, gracious, patient. And his love is an example to us uh, of a love that pursues the fallen. Knowing that they would fall while they were still fallen and to this day. A love that does not end, but, but knowing the consequences of, uh, of selflessly loving another loves anyways. Before he gives us this example of Jesus, Paul gives us one long run-on sentence. It's one long run-on imperative. Paul says, this is what you must be like. That we would know beyond the shadow of a doubt that, that we are to have the same mind toward one another as Jesus Christ has for us. And as, as Paul writes this, verses 1 through 4, he writes it in one single sentence. It's almost like he's pounding these truths into our heads. He says, so, if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, doing nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Period. Right? One big, long sentence. He's just trying to drive it into us. This is the mind we're supposed to have. And then he gives us that example of Christ Jesus himself. One thing for us to note is that this, this statement of verses 1 through 4, it comes out of what Paul said before it. Do you, do you remember from last week's message? Verses uh, 29 and 30, 29 and 30 from the previous chapter, it says, For it has been granted to you, it has been gifted and granted to you, that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, and on he goes... That, that, that statement, it comes out of the fact that we have been gifted our faith. And along with that gift of faith comes that suffering. Because it has been gifted to us to believe, and knowing that the suffering is, is the packaging in which that gift comes, this is how we are to be. We're to have the mind of Christ. Our salvation is a gift. We did nothing to deserve what we have been given in Jesus Christ. We are like David when, when he was given the throne of the kingdom of Israel. 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 18, he says, King David went in and sat before the Lord and said, Who am I, O Lord God? And what is my house that you have brought me? Thus far, do we still ask that question? 
we often ask that when we first come to Christ and we first receive that salvation gift. Do we, do we fully comprehend the extent of our lostness, our, our former depravity, and the grace and mercy that we have been shown? Or have we lost sight of that? I pray that these, these thoughts would, would bring about a humble understanding, a humility, that same humility that we were exemplified by in Christ Jesus. If I was so intentionally pursued and loved by Christ, if he is my example, I, I have no right not to live this way myself. If I have been gifted my faith, my eyes open to the truth by His Spirit, not by my own works. If I have been encouraged by Christ and His pursuit of me, if I am comforted by His vast, rich love for me, if I have His Spirit living within me, helping, guiding, interceding, teaching, if I begin to comprehend the affection and sympathy that Christ Jesus has shown me to the, to the degree that I comprehend these things, these ideas, I then need to live them out. If I really understand what God has done for me in Christ Jesus and how he has pursued me, I need to turn that around and do those very same things for those around me. I need to live them out. Especially as we realize more and more that we do live in a fallen world, don't we? That, that suffering is part and parcel of, of living for God in a world that hates Him. Do we realize how much we need each other? How much we, still living in these bodies of flesh and temptation, how much we need to lovingly, intentionally care for one another. How much we need to, to continue to pursue one another with the love of Christ. We haven't been saved to show one another up. We weren't given grace and mercy to put everybody else in their place and exalt my desires and my purposes and my thoughts above everybody else's. Let's be those who, who cross the threshold of our comfort zones and love someone else in the same way that we have been intentionally pursued by Christ as he crossed the threshold of heaven and pursued us. took flesh on for us. As we are unified in the Spirit, as, as we count on others, or we count others more significant than ourselves, and look towards the interest of others, let's remember what love looks like. Is love always the ooey-gooey feeling when you first saw her or first saw him? It's not always the touchy-feely, is it? Sometimes 
More often than not, real love is getting down in the dirt, taking on flesh and hanging on a cross. It includes things like bearing one another's burdens. There's a passage for that. Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 2. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, that means they're a believer who has sinned. You who are spiritual should throw them out of the church. Get rid of them. No, that's not what it says, by the way. Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 2. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. But restoring one another can be difficult. And you know what? It should be. It should be difficult to restore one another because we realize we are just as fallen as the, as the next person. But for the grace of God, we would be there too. We'd be in the exact same place as they are. So we are called to willingly and graciously confront one another. Remembering that that word of God is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God would be fully equipped for every good work. Just as it would have been cruel and unloving for Christ to to leave us where we were, we need to take his example to lovingly restore the fallen, confronting the sin and loving the sinful. Sometimes it means letting go of our preferences and looking to the preferences of someone else. As I look at our church, do do we design what we do? Our programs, our music, our services, whatever, everything we do in the church. Do we design them and use them as tools to make ourselves comfortable? To please those who already have everlasting life? Or is everything we've been given by God a tool to, yes, build everyone up, to build one another up and encourage each other, encourage the believer, but also to pursue the visitor, to pursue the non-believer, to to pursue the curious or, or the person from outside our doors in the surrounding culture? How are we using our stuff, our gifts, our abilities to reach the next generation? Are we willing to let go of our own interests, counting them more significant than ourselves? Who have you reached out to? Who have I pursued? The applications of this passage could go on and on and on. We could be here all night, but I won't keep you. But what can we accomplish as a church family if we fully applied this passage right here. We could work a long time applying 11 verses. What could we do if we were determined to pursue one another the same way that Christ pursued us? Knowing that our, our faith is a gift that comes with trials and, and God has given us one another to, that, that we might encourage and, and build one another up 
to maturity in Christ through this life in a contrary world. Let's be intentional. Let's pray. Father God, I praise you for your word given to us. And I am, I am richly blessed by your grace and mercy and love and forgiveness and, and pursuit of me. Lord, how, how long it has been a pursuit for you. How deeply invested you are in this pursuit. You are good. And we thank you for your love. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for this church family that we can build each other up. I pray, Lord, that more and more you instill these 11 verses in our hearts. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus Christ's name.